have a seat, have a seat. I hope today that as we sing, as we celebrate, that you really think about it is overwhelming, the love of God. Amen? Okay, that wasn't very convincing. I mean, the love of God is overwhelming. Amen? I don't know about you, but when I really think about how wretched and how pathetic and sometimes I act and I am, I'm overwhelmed with the love of God. He loves me in spite of that. And so today, I don't, before you get the message, maybe today you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? I came in discouraged. I came in frustrating. I came in feeling unloved. What we just declared is truth, that we can stand in his love and that we can celebrate because he's great. And I hope you know that today. Now, today we're going to continue in our series uh, talking about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, <clears throat> when you think about mysteries, I want to remind us that mysteries is really referring to those things which are hidden or those things that are unknown that become revealed. They can become known at some point. And one thing about a mystery you know is this, is that there's always more than meets the eye, right? You can look at a story, and, and Jesus, he was perfect at this. There's always more than what met the eye. What he said, there's always more to the story. And the perfect person to do this was Jesus. Jesus oftentimes revealed mysteries of the kingdom of God, and one way he did that was through parables. He would tell parables, a earthly story, as some would say, with a heavenly meeting. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the parable of the sower and the seed. And last week we talked about baptism. Didn't we have a great week last week with baptism? Wasn't that wonderful to see those three people? Except, yeah, so many of us are not excited. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Maybe you need your coffee to kick in. But anyway, the point is we've talked about the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, today we're going to move to another parable, the second parable that Jesus is going to talk about. It's the parable of the wheat and the wheat. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 13. And as we look at this passage, really we're going to pick up in verse 24, and we need to read it all the way through 43. Now, I'm not going to read all that right now, but that whole section, 23 through 42 there, is really all one section. And we're going to take it that way because there's a lot of things that happen right there. But I want to start with by just reading, and you can stay seated today, start reading in verse 24 through 30 because this sets the context. This is the parable that Jesus tells, and it sets the context of the message today as we look at the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Here it is, verse 24 says this, and he put another parable before them, the them is those that are following him, and he says this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed a good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and to gather them? Talking about the weeds. He said, but he said to them, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and to be burned, but then gather the wheat and put them into my barn. Now may God bless the reading of his word, because what we find out is a lot here. In fact, I just want to recap the story so we're all on the same page here. This Jesus tells about a farmer again going to sow a seed. Now, we just heard this, didn't we, earlier in the last chapter when the sower and the seed. Now, the interesting thing is, in the other chapter, the sower and the seed, that parable focused on the different kinds of soil. This time he's focusing on the seed. Now, he talks about this farmer that goes out and he sows this really, really good seed. And then while they're sleeping, while the, the farmer and his servants are sleeping, the enemy comes. Now, interesting enough, 
that many of us would look at this passage and go, well, maybe it's referring to the laziness of the farmer and the servant. And that's not what it's referring to at all. In fact, I was studying some historians of the Palestine era, and they said that one way that you would attack your enemy, one way if you had a neighbor that you really didn't like, I won't ask you if you have anybody like that, but if you had a neighbor you really didn't like, and they were, it was planting season, and they were out planting their crops, what you would do is you would go out and plant weeds, the seed of weeds, among them, so that you would try to ruin their crops. And that was common in Palestine. And so when it says that they were asleep, it wasn't talking about their laziness. They had been planning probably all day, and now they're taking a rest. Well, what happens? The enemy comes, and the enemy sows weeds among the seed. And then the, the, the workers come and say, hey, listen, you know, we've discerned that these weeds, now that things are growing, there's wheat and there's weeds. You want us to take and go get the weeds out of there. And it's interesting what the farmer said. He said, no, lest you will root up what? The real wheat. Now, here's something the farmer knew that we need to pay careful attention to. He knew by the time it was able to discern that there's wheat and there's weeds, he understood something. That by this time, the root system of the weeds had now intertwined with the root system of the wheat. And if you pull the weeds up, guess what also comes up? The wheat. So here's what he says. No, don't do it. Don't go pluck out the weeds. Let's wait till harvest time, and then I will tell my reapers. And at harvest time, we will separate the wheat from the weeds. So that's a, that's a parable that Jesus told. Now, Interesting enough, later on, Jesus comes back, and like he does often, and he explains the parable. But I want to say something to you. There's really three things, there's really three truths that I believe that is unfolded and unveiled for us today as it relates to this parable of the wheat and the weeds. And here's the first one that I want us to see here, is that there is an enemy. There's an enemy. Did you see that twice? He talks about an enemy. Now, who is our enemy? Not a trick question. Who is our enemy? Okay. Four people, got it. Let's try that again. Who is our enemy? Yeah, it's not your spouse. It's not the government. That kind of hurt, didn't it? It's not the government. It's not your neighbor. It's not your boss. We have a real enemy, and that enemy is the devil. That enemy is Satan. And what we learn in this passage is some of the ideas and the tactics that the enemy uses. The first thing we learn is this, is that the enemy works to sabotage the work of God. Look with me in verse 37. Flip over to verse 37. It says this. And Jesus, in explaining this parable, said to them, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, meaning Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, meaning those who follow Christ. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is who? The devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So Jesus, in explaining this, tells us what we need to know about this seed and this wheat. And basically what he's telling us is this, is that there is a real enemy. And one of the jobs of the enemy is to sabotage the work of God. Now, you've got a farmer who sowed good seed to produce what? A crop. And then you've got an enemy who wants to hurt the farmer. So he plants weeds among the seeds in order to sabotage it. And then Jesus comes in verse 37 and says, that's the same thing in true in life. We have a real enemy. The enemy is the devil. And anything that God is trying to do, guess what? The enemy is going to try to do it opposite. So if Jesus is trying to bring people into the kingdom of God, what is the devil trying to do? To keep people out of the kingdom of God. Are you seeing that? That's what Jesus is talking about. We have a real enemy. And whatever God is doing, 
He's going to try to do the opposite. So if God's at work, guess who also is at work? The enemy's at work. Now, why is this important to first century hearers? The people that follow Jesus, why is this so important? Because up to this point, you know what they've seen? Some amazing teaching, haven't they? Jesus spoke with authority, and the Bible says they were just awed. They were amazed. They saw, saw miracles that are unexplainable. I mean, wouldn't you love to have one of those people that followed Jesus in like chapters 8 through 10 and interview them and go, what was it like when you saw Jesus touch the leper? Dude, I'm just going to tell you. It was, I mean, it's my blood. I mean, can you imagine the interview, what that would be like? See, they had seen that. They'd heard all these great teachings. They'd seen all these great miracles. But here's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he pauses in this parable and he says, listen, guys. I know you love all the you love all the healings. I know you love all the teachings, but I want you to know something that's paramount to your faith. We have an enemy. And we have an enemy. And he's going to work to sabotage God's work in this world and in your lives. So if God's at work, guess who also is working? The enemy. Now I'm just going to step on a, on a limb here and say this. I think God is working across life ladies. Anybody else agree with me? Okay, I think God is doing some great things. I think the story that God is writing about this campus and in our community, how we're reaching the world, is magnificent. The impact and influence God is positioning us to have where we live in the area of Bithel and right around here is absolutely extraordinary. But I want to tell you something. If God is working, and he is, guess who also is going to be working? The enemy. So just as we start growing and banging and doing the right stuff, that enemy is going to come in and he's going to do all he can to create division and discord among the body. And it's coming. It's going to happen. And so it was so important for these early believers to know that following Jesus is awesome. I mean, we're seeing miracles. We're hearing great teaching about how to live our lives. But he's like pausing for a moment and saying, listen, I just want you to know something. There's a real enemy. And he has a name. It's the devil. And he's going to work to sabotage everything that God is doing. And we must never forget there's an enemy and we're in a battle. That's why Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, we have it up here. In Ephesians chapter 6, says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present age of darkness, against the spiritual force of evil and the heavenly places. In other words, Paul says this in, to the church of Ephesus. There's a battle but it's not with each other. There's a spiritual war that's going on. 1 Peter 5 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, enemy, the who? The who? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To devour. You know what that tells me? That he is at work. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. For the first century follower, this was huge. They'd seen all these great things, heard all this great stuff. And I love the fact that almost like Jesus pauses in his ministry and says, I want to unveil this huge, this huge element of the kingdom of God. Here it is. The kingdom of God has an enemy and he has a name. And he's going to do whatever he can to work to sabotage what God's doing. Now listen to me. If God is working in our church, guess what the devil's going to do? Try to sabotage it. If God is working in your marriage, guess what the devil's going to try to do? Sabotage it. If God is working in your workplace, guess what the devil's going to try to do? Sabotage it. Wherever God's at work, the devil wants to sabotage it. So if you're growing in your walk with Christ and you're seeing God use you in powerful ways, just be on guard because the devil's coming. Why? Because now you're a threat. See, if you claim to follow Christ and aren't living like it, why would I fool with you? 
You're not a threat. You're making no difference for the kingdom. But if you're really grinding it out and you're really living for the Lord, you're a threat to the enemy and he's coming. Now, aren't you encouraged by that? Seem like I don't know what I got myself into, right? But listen, Jesus pauses and he wants to know there's a real enemy. And here's the enemy. He works to sabotage the work of God. Second thing we learn about the enemy is this, is that he works to counterfeit that which is good. When I studied this story, the question that kept coming to mind was this. Why did the workers not notice sooner the weeds versus the wheat? So you know me, some of you know me well enough to know that I wasn't satisfied with my question, so I had to do a lot of digging. And it was a picture that gave me clarity. And here's the picture. Now, one of these is wheat, and one of these is a weed. Now, I won't ask you which one because I asked someone earlier today and they got it wrong out of the gate. So I'm just going to tell you, on the left is the most common wheat in all of Palestine. And the one on the right is the most common weed in Palestine. It's called the bearded darnel. You can write that down, look it up later. It's called the bearded, like a beard, a bearded darnel. You know what's also known as by historians? Fake wheat. Fake wheat. Now, you know why it's called fake wheat? Because from a distance, what do they look like? The same thing. They look absolutely identical. In fact, if you were to study the, the agriculture of Palestine, here's what historians would tell you. If you planted this wheat and you planted this bearded darnel together from a distance at a certain level of growth, you could not tell them apart. They were absolutely identical. It was only when the wheat finally started producing ears of wheat and it began to produce, and then with the weight of the ears, it begins to lean. You ever seen wheat? It begins to lean, and you know when wheat is ready to be harvested is when it turns brown. But a bearded darnel will stay straight up, and eventually it turns black. And only then are you able to discern the wheat from the wheat. So it doesn't happen in the early stages. It happens near the harvest. You say, Doug, what's your point? Here it is. This bearded darnel is a pretender. It's a pretender. It acts and looks like this. But in the end, there's absolutely discernible difference between wheat and weeds. Are you getting where I'm going with this? See, that is a counterfeit for that. And I'm just saying that because I want you to know this. The devil loves to deceive people by counterfeiting truth. He does. One of the greatest ways the devil loves to deceive people is by counterfeiting truth. Let me give an example. Here's one. Uh, one of the, and basically when I say that, I'm saying he's at, he wants us to believe a lie as if it's true. Here's an example of that, like earning our salvation. You know, I, I've been in church almost all of my life. I can't remember a season I was not in church. I've been in ministry almost 29 years, and I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of great people that love the church, and they love Jesus, and I've had conversations, and I find myself intrigued with how many times in those conversations I still hear elements of this work salvation come out in their story. I know some of you are going through the book of James in your small groups, and let me just say this to you. Some people look at that one passage it says, faith without works is dead and brings great confusion. Well, let me just, let me give you clarity. Can, can I just clear it up for you today? Here it is. Paul says this, for I am saved by grace through faith and out of works that no man should boast. Meaning, I am saved not by what I do, but by who I know. 
I'm saved by the grace of God because I put my faith in him. Period. End of sentence. Nothing else. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. amen. Then James says it this way. But if I know Christ and there's no evidence of that in my life, I don't really know Christ. So faith without works doesn't mean I have to work for salvation. It means if I say that I love him and I've given my life to him, there should be evidence in how I live. And if there's no evidence of salvation, that means there is no salvation. And Jesus, the whole Sermon on the Mount, you can go back to Matthew 7. It's exactly what Jesus said. Now, here's the point. One of the ways the devil tries to counterfeit is by giving us these lies and counterfeits them as truth. And one of those is this idea of earning our salvation. And you know what, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, why do people buy into that? And I think it's because it makes sense, doesn't it? Really, I mean, think about it. In your workplace, if you want to catch the eye of your boss, and you want to be recognized and noticed, and you want to climb the ladder, what do you have to do? You have to work harder and do more, and the eyes of your boss to be pleasing to him so that you can be recognized and that you can gain greater success. Isn't that the world we live in? And so when we think, that, think about that, it makes sense that we have to earn some kind of right standing because we do it in the workplace. And somehow we impose that same idea on God. And the devil comes in and he tries to manipulate and deceive us by counterfeiting the truth of salvation by saying, you know what, you really need to work for that. I mean, you need to work harder, do more, do all these religious activities. Then you'll be right before God. And I would say this to you, no! You're not going to be right before God unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's it. Because once he changes my heart, then my behavior will follow. Amen? Let me give you another example of how the devil tries to counterfeit truth. And it's this, and you know this, you've heard this, is the idea when people say, you know, if God is a loving God, God would not send anybody to hell. I've heard that all over and over and over again. It's this idea that if God is really loving, because you talk about it all the time, there's no way God would purposely send people to hell. In fact, there was a famous preacher several years ago, probably about eight or ten years ago, that when you, when you would watch him, I'll tell you his name in a minute, when you'd watch him, this was one of the most conservative, one of the most insightful people I had ever heard in my life. I mean, when I would listen to him, he had these videos called Numa videos, and when I would watch these videos, I was blown away with the background and his understanding of the text, and he was extremely conservative in his theology. But somewhere something shifted in his life. And he wrote a book. And it said, and here's the title of the book. Don't read it. Please burn it if you got it. Love wins. You're like, well, Doug, that doesn't seem terrible. No, no, no. His point was everybody gets in. God is a loving God. He won't condemn anybody. I mean, somewhere this guy's theology changed. That's why the apostle Paul told the church of Galatia, he said, listen, you've got to be careful about false gospels. There is one gospel, and it's Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That's it. Don't believe anything else. And if you have false teachers, kick them out. Don't entertain them. Why? Because there's one gospel. And here's just my point. I want you to get this. The enemy... The enemy not only works to sabotage the work of God, but he works to counterfeit that which is good. He wants to take a lie and sell it as a truth. And that's just a couple examples. But here's where it really matters. Those who buy the lie, those who have been deceived, you know what that produces? It produces, let's go back to that picture for good Thomas. It produces pretenders. That's what it produces. People who say they know Christ, but they're just weeds. Nothing's changed in here. 
That's what that produces. People who buy the lie of the devil, that I can earn my salvation, that somehow God is not going to send anybody to hell, which is a crazy thought anyway, but somehow God's love, that if he loves us, that we're all going to get it. Those people that buy that and say they love Jesus, they are a weed. And they're pretenders. They're not real wheat. So here's Jesus, and he's encouraging this group of people that have followed him. Said, listen, guys, I know you've seen these great miracles. I know you've heard these amazing teachings, because he was amazing, right? And he's like, but listen, there's a real enemy. And this enemy, listen to me, this enemy, he's working to sabotage the work of God. Not only my work, but the work that he's going to do in your life. He's working to sabotage. And not only is he doing that, he seeks to counterfeit that which is good. Be alert. Now, if you're the followers of Jesus at that point, I just want you to think with me for a moment. Are you a bit discouraged? Think about it. Would you be discouraged? I would. You know why I would be discouraged? Because just before this parable, Jesus told me another parable. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Do you remember there were four kinds of soils? And he says the seed was the word of God, and the first soil rejected the seed. The second soil acted like it wanted the seed, but it died because it had no moisture. It didn't take root. The third one acted like it wanted the seed, but it loved the world more than it loved God. And so it choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And only the last seed was a seed that actually produced a crop. So in other words, there are four kinds of soils in the world today. And out of all four, only one really is saved. And now you're telling me as I follow you that there's an enemy? And he's working to sabotage what God wants to do in my life? And there's an enemy that's trying to counterfeit the truth and sell me a lie. And now you're telling me there's pretenders among us? I'd be a little bit discouraged, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be a little bit discouraged? I would. And that's why I say that because of this. Because the next two verses seem so out of place. And when you read them, you're like, okay, Jesus, why did you insert two more parables before you explain the parable you just told? Here's why I think he did it. Because these next two parables provide an unbelievable amount of encouragement to people that could be discouraged. Let's read verse 31 through 33. It says this. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And it's the smallest of all seeds. But when it had grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and become a tree. So the birds of the air came and made nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid and three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Now, the interesting thing, did Jesus explain these parables? Did he explain them? Just look right there. Did he explain them? No. They got them. Understood. Now, it's interesting, as I studied this, I thought, well, these parables seem so out of place unless you understand context. The context is, Jesus has got followers that have seen all this great stuff, have bought in. And he pauses and he reminds them, there is a real enemy out there. Be aware. Be alert. He's coming after us. Knowing they're discouraged, he offers two parables of encouragement. And here's the truth that we see unveiled. Here's what he tells them. Don't lose heart. And he tells these two parables. First one's the mustard seed. And the mustard seed, it says it's the smallest of all seeds. Now, if you studied anything in Palestine, here's one thing you would find out. It's not the smallest of all seeds. Now, it's the smallest of all plant seeds, which is what Jesus was referring to, because he used the word plant in here. It's the smallest of all plant seeds. And when you plant a mustard seed that's the smallest of all plant seeds, and it grows, guess what you find out? It eventually becomes the largest of all plants. In fact, some historians would say that a mustard seed plant would grow to 13 to 15 feet tall. 
I would say a plant, would you agree, a plant typically gets two to maybe three feet at the highest. And then we're ready to chop that bad boy down, right? And so Jesus' point is this, is that while this mustard seed seems small and insignificant, what it produces is extraordinary. Now, why would this be encouragement to them? Because like Jesus saying to them, hey, listen, guys, I know you're discouraged. I know you have a heavy heart, but listen to me. My kingdom is about to blow up. I know it seems small. I know it seems insignificant. I know you're kind of confused, but listen, my kingdom that you're a part of, it's about to explode. It seems small and insignificant now, but you just wait because there's a day coming that it's going to impact the entire world. I know you're discouraged. I know you're beat down, but listen to me. My kingdom is not only going to blow this thing up. My kingdom is going to start a movement that will never stop. Don't lose heart. He talks about the mustard seed. Then he talks about a piece of leaven, the next parable. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in Palestine, what they would do is they would, they, would, they would make bread, and then they would take a piece of the bread that was made, the leftover piece that had leaven in it, and then they would take it and put it in unleavened bread and bake it, and then that small piece of leaven would create leaven in the whole batch that was unleavened, and it would all rise. Did you know that? I didn't know it either to this way. In fact, it says here three measures. So I'm curious, what's three measures? I mean, I think of a teaspoon, don't you? I mean, a measuring cup or something like that. A measure, three measures equals to a bushel of unleavened bread. You know how big a bushel is? That's a lot of bread, right? That's just a lot of bread. And so what they would do is they would take this small piece of leaven and put it in this bushel of bread, and they would bake it, and this small piece of leaven would totally impact all of this unleavened bread. Now, what was the point Jesus was trying to make? While this piece of leavened bread, it seemed small and insignificant. Listen, it impacted the whole batch. I know you're struggling. I know you're discouraged, but hear me. My kingdom, while seeming small and insignificant, it's going to impact the entire world. It's going to have influence like you can't imagine. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged. Why? Because my kingdom wins. My kingdom prevails. And guess what? You're part of my kingdom. So don't lose heart. Be encouraged. Do you see how that parable really jumps out now as the placement of it, as Jesus trying to encourage those who are discouraged? And then there's one more truth I think he unveils, and this is my favorite. It's found in verse 40 through 43. It says this. Just as the, he says, just, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the, the causes of sin and all the lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, and the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun, and the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, what? Let him hear. Let me tell you the third thing that's unveiled the truth. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. Now, in this final parable, this explanation of this parable, the weeds and the wheat, Jesus lays all the cards on the table. He says, listen, there's a day coming for the weeds. That day is, he called it harvest earlier, but now it's the end of the age, right? That's the final judgment of Christ. This is what the Bible would call the white throne judgment. This is the final judgment when everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody. And notice what he says here. He says here that in this final judgment, that there's going to be a great separation that's going to take place. That in this final judgment, all false doctrine is going to be exposed. All those who are haters and all those who are pretenders are going to be held accountable for their decisions. You know what? This is a perfect echo 
of what Jesus said in Matthew 7 when he said there was those that came to him and said, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And he looked at them and said, what? Cast away from me forever, for I never, what? Knew you. What a terrible moment that's going to be. But there's a day of reckoning coming. A day when people who are haters and pretenders are going to stand and be held accountable. In that moment of accountability, they're going to be faced with the eternal punishment. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. But, he says this, and I love this, but the righteous will shine like the sun. The kingdom of their father. In other words, there's a day coming for the weeds to be held accountable. But there's a day coming for the wheat. Oh, man. When that day comes, it's going to be a day of reward. It's going to be a day that we get to capture and to launch into spending eternity with our Savior. Isn't that going to be a great moment? There's a moment God is going to set the record straight, right? There's a moment all things are going to be put into place. Now, if you're the first century follower, listen to me real quickly. These parables are crucial for you. These parables unlock a mystery of the kingdom because it reminds them there is an enemy. Listen to me, folks. There is an enemy. There's an enemy. And if God is at work, he's going to be working too. If God is at work in your marriage, he's coming. If God's at work in your workplace, he's coming. If God's at work in your life, he's coming. Wherever God's at work, he's trying to sabotage. There is an enemy who tries to sabotage and counterfeit. But the good news is this, that Jesus' kingdom makes it. That his kingdom exploded. And it began a movement. Here we are, listen. Here we are 2,000 years later. And his movement is still moving, amen? It's still moving. But he also reminds them this. There's a day where where God the Father is going to settle the score. And everything is going to be put into place. So as you leave today, there's three things I want you to take away with you real quickly. Number one, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. There is an enemy, and he's after us, and we need to be prepared for the battle. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 is one of my favorite passages because it reminds me every day I get up, there's schemes of the devil. He's coming. But God has given me what I need, the armor to protect myself and also be on the offensive against the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, you might want to read it later. Keep your eyes open. I'm going to tell you, too many of us Christians, we look at the world today and we say this, we just live in a terrible world. People are, no, 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 no. Sin has corrupted the world we live in. It's a sin issue. You know, when I watch the news, which I try not to do it very often, if there is 10 newscasts on one evening, how many of you think of those are positive? Maybe one? If a cat was rescued out of a tree, I mean, that might be it. But the most of them are not. You know why? Because that's the world we live in. We always focus on the negative. And listen, we need to look at the world we live in and go, there's an enemy at work. There is an enemy at work. And I need to be prepared for battle. How many of you are prepared for battle today? I mean, how many of you are really prepared? I mean, you've got the helmet of salvation on. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You've got the, the belt of truth. You've got the fear. I mean, how many of us are ready to do war with the enemy when he comes? Are you? And then the second thing I want you to take away is this. Don't let the world discourage you. Listen, don't let the world discourage you. We are part of a movement that's never going to stop until Jesus comes again. I don't care what happens in this world. Jesus is still king. He's still on his throne, and he is still ultimately in control of everything. Amen? 
He, the movement is going. And listen, we have, we have what this world needs, the gospel, the good news of Christ. Third thing I want you to walk away with is this. One day, God will set the record straight. One day, judgment will come for those who are haters and pretenders. And one day, reward will come for those who are followers and believers in Christ. So I have a simple question today as I close. Which seed are you? Are you the good seed? And you're following Christ. It says here the good seed are the ones. He says here the, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. In other words, the followers of Christ. Are you the good seed? And if you are the good seed, here's my follow-up question. Are you prepared for the battle? Well, Doug, you just don't know. You know, I, I want to be prepared, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't know if the devil's really going to attack me. You're wrong. If you're making noise for God, you are shaking the rafters of hell. And he wants to be attacking you, and he's coming after you. Listen, are you ready for that battle? And you need to ask yourself that question. And if you're not ready, listen, you need to find yourself at this altar saying, God, give me the strength and give me the wisdom to put on your armor so I'm ready for battle. I'm ready for battle. If you're the good seed, are you ready for battle? And also, if you're the good seed, I want you to be encouraged. And I know this is cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. We win, right? We win because he's already won. He's already won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. And we win because of what he's done. Don't be discouraged. No matter what the world throws at you, don't be discouraged. Are you the bad seed? And if you're the seed that does not have a relationship with Christ, if you sit there out there today and you're like, you know what? As I look at my life, what I recognize today is that I'm a pretender. Can we throw that picture back one more time, Thomas? I'm a pretender. I may look like that, but my heart resembles that. If that's you today, here's the easy fix. You ready? Just give your life to Christ. Well, Doug, what if, what, if, what if people think that I'm already a Christian and I make that decision? I mean, are they going to look down at me? Isn't your eternity way more important than what people think? Would you rather split hell wide open or know that you're going to go home in heaven? Does it really matter what people think? No. Because if you don't make a decision, would you rather gamble on your eternity versus having certainty of where you're going to go? So if you say today, hey, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm not the good seed, would you just give your life to Christ? Would you just acknowledge that you're a sinner? Invite them to your life, or, or just know that there's a day where you're going to have to face the consequences of that decision. So good seed, be prepared. Good seed, don't be discouraged. If you're not the good seed, would you come to know Christ today? I'm going to ask you, everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed and every eye closed if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask some of, our, some of our men and their wives or deacons, if you would just make your way to the front sides of the room, that would be great in case someone needs to be prayed for. But every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to encourage you with this. If you're the good seed and you're not prepared for battle, would you not leave today unprepared? Would you get on your knees and your face before God and say, God, would you give me the strength and the wisdom for the battle that awaits? The battle over my kid's life. The battle over my marriage. The battle over my purity. The battle's coming. I know it, God. Would you give me this strength? If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus today and you don't feel like you're prepared, this altar's open for you. Or if you're a follower of Jesus and you come today and you're loaded with discouragement, man, you just feel beat down. 
But today you ask the Lord renew the joy of his salvation in you. This altar is open for you. Just come and say, Lord, I need you to give me my joy back. Not the joy of my circumstances, but my joy in knowing you. So believer, this, this invitation is for you. And if you don't know Christ today, would you come to know him? Would you just pray right now, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that if I die today, I would spend eternity apart from you. But I don't want to be a pretender. I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me my sins and be the Lord and the master of my life. And if you'll do that, if you just pray that, he came in. And I'm going to ask you, this invitation is for you. I'll be up front. These men and their wives, we can go ahead and move that way, would be up front. They would love to talk with you by the decision. Or you can put it on that card. But if you're not the good seed, today's the day to make a decision. Don't let what people think stop you. Just be faithful to respond. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this group of people. I love this church. I love this people. They are the most loving kind people I've ever been around. But Lord, as we come to this invitation, I pray that we could put aside all those things and realize that one day we are going to stand before you. One day we're going to stand and give an account whether we were the good seed or not the good seed. And Lord, I pray for those who are believers. I pray for those who are like the real wheat in the story. That we today would celebrate our salvation. But also today that we would be prepared for battle. Because we know the enemy wants to, to deceive our kids. The enemy wants to wreck our marriages. The enemy wants to rob us of stewardship and our finances. The enemy wants to wreck our morality and our purity. We know that, but God, I pray for believers that today, if they're not prepared for battle, they would find themselves at this altar and they would, they would ask for your strength and encouragement. And then God, I pray for believers today that have been discouraged, that today they might find themselves at this altar praying for you to restore your joy back in their life. Lord, if we're a believer today, we need you as much as anybody today. And then God, I pray for those who don't know you. Those who one day are going to stand before you. And at this point in their life, would hear the words, cast away from me forever, for I never knew you. God, that doesn't have to be their story. If they prayed that a moment ago, if they need to pray that, and ask Jesus to come in their life, would they do that right now? God, would you move in their hearts and their lives, and may they respond to you? God, we love you, and we thank you for today, and may you move in us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now listen to me. This altar's open. We got folks on this side, and over here, can I get, can Ron and Jerry, can you guys slide over here if you would? If you just need to talk to someone, they'd love to pray with you. But this invitation is for us. Will we be faithful to respond? Patrick, you lead us and you respond as the Lord leads you.